Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, everybody. Hey, monkeys. Welcome to episode number 50 of the Snark Monkey Podcast. I am Larry Morgan talking today with the great Jimmy Pardo, standing-up comedian, podcast pioneer, all-around cool guy. Nice guy. Great conversation. A uh, little backstory to this. I mentioned it briefly in our conversation, but I actually randomly ran into Jimmy Pardo in the parking lot of the building where I work. I accosted him. My son was with me and um, just told him I was a big fan. And I actually had something in my briefcase for him that I've been carrying around forever, which was a copy of a classic American Top 40 show on CD hosted by Casey Kasem. Uh, specifically picked out for Jimmy because it had a Chicago song somewhere in the top ten. Probably hard to say I'm sorry, I think we determined. Um, Because a longer story than you people care about, I used to work with Casey Kasem. I worked on the American Top 40 show as kind of the executive in charge of production, blah, blah, blah. And hearing Never Not Funny, Jimmy's podcast, they would often do impressions of Casey and have a great affection for the countdown and... So I just thought it would be kind of a cool thing for him to have. I had meant to send it to him, and just through just the most random serendipity, I saw Jimmy coming away from an ATM. By the way, huge wad of cash. Just pulled out the, like, maximum amount. Just the man is just rolling in it. I don't know. I didn't see that. Um, Told him I was a fan. Told him about my podcast, how he had helped inspire me to start this very podcast, which is true. And he very graciously and unexpectedly said, well, I'd love to do it sometime. And I refused. And he said, no, seriously, put me on the podcast. And I said, no, that's fine. We're cool. And he just kept begging and asking. And then somehow he got my email. And so finally I said, yes. No, the fact that Jimmy Pardo said to me, I would love to do your podcast was so unexpected and such a thrill. And the fact that it has actually happened is a great way to mark my 50th episode of Snark Monkey, which is kind of a cool benchmark, even though that means nothing compared to what Jimmy's been doing for 10 years as a host and creator of the Never Not Funny podcast. They just celebrated uh, celebrated season 18, episode 14. You know, in 1814, we took a little trip along with Colonel Jackson down the mighty Mississippi. So what a great time. I, I, I had such a good conversation. So many of you who are Never Not Funny fans will have heard little snippets of Jimmy's life on his own podcast. We kind of consolidate his history, but get to expand on some things that he doesn't necessarily always talk about um, and just riffed on some stuff. Uh, got a little insight into his life. I love talking with Jimmy. This this moves at twice the speed of most episodes, <laughs> so hold on to something. You might actually, uh, apparently my sister 
in Texas listens to this podcast at half speed because she finds that hilarious, uh, this might be a good one to do that. I don't know if that's really true, but that's what my brother-in-law told me. Anyway, if you would like to see the great Jimmy Pardo do his standing-up comedy live, he's going to be in St. Louis next week, June 3rd and 4th, at the Funny Bone Comedy Club, and get more tour dates and more info at jimmypardo.com. Listen to the Never Not Funny podcast if you're not already a subscriber or a Players Club member at podcast.com uh, and also on the iTunes, which is where I listen every week. Please follow us on Twitter at the Snark Monkey, like our Facebook page, and you can find more great podcasts with creative folks and funny folks and all sorts of different uh, great conversations at snarkmonkey.net. But I can't think of a better way to celebrate the huge benchmark of episode number 50. Eh, big whoop. That's a start. Give me a break. Come on! With the great Jimmy Pardo. Love this episode. Enjoy. Uh, roll the music. Start the thing. Steve, you want to do the music? Thanks. There is no Steve. <laughs> I've listened enough now to the podcast, and Motherfucker. <laughs> but, yeah, all right, Jimmy's now wrestling with the. Oh, you uh, sorted? No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can say anything you want. I didn't know you were. I, I thought maybe a nice uh, intro or something. No, no, the, all, that's all going to happen uh, in post. Outside of yes, I'll be talking about you when you're not here. Okay, very good. <laughs> but it'll all be good. Uh, actually, because I listen enough to the podcast and just your references to popular music and Casey Kasem, and uh, even though I know that you listen more to XM than anything else right now, yeah. especially during baseball season, but you do have, and you were part of the music business, I assume you have kind of an affection for old school radio, Love Top it. 40. Yes. I mean, that's in your blood, right? Yes, it is. You know, I grew up in uh, Chicago. Uh, uh, some of the greatest AM Top 40 radio Larry of all Lujak, time. Larry Lujak. Absolutely. Uh, John Records Landecker. Landecker. Yes. A guy that called himself Captain Whammo. <laughs> uh, he's, it's the Whammo line! <laughs> and uh, uh, and then, But my heroes were Steve Dahl and Gary Meyer. I was in Chicago at the, I was in the Cherub Program at, Met, uh, Cherub program at Northwestern University. Have you heard of that? I, I know Northwest, the Northwest university I've heard of. There's a summer program for high school students that they refer to as the Cherub Program. And you can go and study in different areas. And mine at the time was called Radio TV Film. Okay. They also had journals. So you go there for six weeks. You live in the dorms. You study at Northwestern. And I was there in the summer of seven, the summer of 79 uh, when um, they well, blew up the yeah, disco records. Dolls at, at the peak of his powers. At the White Sox game. Yeah. And had the... Like cancel the game. They had to forfeit the second game. Uh, yeah. My uh, my stepbrother Scott was at that game. My mom thought it was maybe a little too dangerous for me to go because I was a uh, uh, how old would I have been in seventy nine? Uh, just thirteen. Okay, I guess. Uh, uh, and how I was great. Bummed. Would you have been the yeah to be there for that? At the same time, I'm kind of glad that I wasn't because it was a disaster. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, but I had my disco record ready to go. I was mad at disco, just like Steve told me to be. Were you? Uh, what was the record? Oh, I don't probably Andy Gibb or something along but those lines. But that was lines. something you bought, though, that I liked. Yeah, exactly. And I did. You know what? And, and it's funny that I've since become friendly with Steve Dahl. Uh, I'll say friends. I don't know if he'll say the same thing. Yeah. But um, and 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 Gary, I, I and I uh, I know a little bit as well. And to talk to them, it's like 
it was a hook. It oh, was sure. and and but I, but as a kid, thirteen years old. Steve says we hate disco. I hate disco. Well, that shows the power of radio when personalities yes. really could bring you into the fold. I mean, and they did. Nobody brought more into it. It was almost like what I would imagine what happened with this is a ridiculous comparison, but uh, you know, War of the Worlds when oh, sure. when Skylab was falling, Steve and Gary pretended that they that Gary lived in a Winnebago first of all, <laughs> and that they buried the Winnebago underground. To be, but but so they could still broadcast in case Skylab fell on top of them, and I believed it. Like it never occurred to me. It's a comedy show right. that you laugh at every day. Right. But this one thing, they're probably very serious about. Yeah, I wonder if even theater of the mind, which is that phrase that everybody loves to say yeah. for radio, if. if if that even exists anymore, I think we're so behind the scenes now. We know how everything works. Plus, we're, I mean, you do a video podcast, yeah. so you're showing warts and all. You show everything that goes on. I wonder if there well, are only out Phil, there. right? I mean, you mentioned Phil Hendry earlier. Yeah, yeah. Only him, but even the, that now that's bizarre to watch him on video oh. do all his characters. It's actually. It it's it's weird. I I, I I don't like watching it. No, it's it's uncomfortable. I right? don't like it where you know that's right. That, yeah, that's right, Phil. <laughs> you know, as, as Margaret, and then you know, and then Bud Dickman, and, and uh, which I love. I, I, the man's a genius. Yeah. And oh no, it's amazing. How he's not a national treasure is beyond me. Well, it's it's, but it is disconcerting to watch him. I, yes. I want you want to go in and like give him medication or something because yeah. it's like he's having an attack. I I was listening when he was uh, being distributed national and radio on terrestrial. I was listening to a show where he was taught. He was on the street in a chicken costume. Uh, David G. Hall was uh, his boss. Was calling him uh, 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 the engineer, uh, Bud. Uh, uh, Bud Dickman. Yeah, was was also you know piping in, and then some some person in a car was driving by screaming at him, and it was all Phil. And I had to walk over to the studio and look inside and go. You really are doing all yes. this. Yes. Yeah. Right? That's I, crazy. I mean, it's amazing. And you're you're somebody who, you move 100 miles an hour. Your your brain works fast, but you're even blown away by that. I am. Yeah. I am. Uh, I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, his is one that I listen yeah, to. Yeah, good. Um, was comedy like an early interest, like right away? Were oh. there guys? I mean, you, I mean, radio, obviously. Well, growing up, was, listening was, to Stephen Gary yeah. and... Uh, uh, and they probably had comedians on, I would imagine. Well, they had. Uh, uh, that's how I first learned of Richard Lewis was because of okay. Steve and Gary. All right. Uh, they famously kicked Jerry Seinfeld off the air. Uh, Jerry and I, I got to talk to Steve because I don't remember this exactly. He either refused to do his act or he would only do his act. Oh. But they had enough of it. Yeah. Like whatever he was doing wasn't meshing with what they wanted. Yeah. And he wasn't playing along and he was being maybe standoffish. And they went, well, then, you know what? If you're not going to just get out of here. Yeah. Um, I've had that circumstance once. With who was it? Do you want to say? Uh, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. He's no longer with us. It was George Carlin. Uh, oh. I had an amazing conversation. Except every time I set him up, it was like in the middle of an election cycle. I think uh, Clinton was uh, running for president. I would set him up for what's going on. He was like, "Well, I talk about it in the act." Um, that's and, what. And that's what Jerry uh, was doing. He would go, "Well, I do that in my act." Like, yeah. so come and see me. It's like, but you got to do something here. I think so. I mean, you I ha- think so. You have to do a lot of radio shows. Do you still do radio I when do. you travel? And I have, there are so many comics who recognize that it's important, but dread it all the same. I don't think it's important at all. I'll <laughs> okay. go the other way. Where uh, I think. Maybe there was a time when it was I important. I think there was. I think there was a time where, yeah. as, a, as a standing up comedian, 
that if you went to Omaha, that that's a bad example. Those guys are actually pretty good, and they actually do get you a crowd. Uh, I picked the one city that's a bad example. Uh, but if you go to Dayton, yeah, and I'm sure oh, there was a time. Guys. Oh, they're the worst. Oh. Uh, that's uh, let's make up a bad uh, uh, morning show name. I actually came up with one earlier. It was uh, the Amazing Merkin and uh, and his sidekick. Uh, I forget. It was something terrible. Uh, but the but, Amazing but, Merkin's not bad. I like the Amazing Merkin. Yeah, uh, and, and he's terrific. And, and but they finally got him a partner. That's what they needed. It. Um, but I think there was a time where it was helpful to, oh, that guy sounds funny. I'll go to see him at the at the comedy club. Uh, I think it helps now if you are pseudo famous and people don't know that you're going to be in town and then they hear you driving to work. Oh, I didn't know. Uh, uh, I can't even. Uh, Gabriel Iglesias was in town. Right, right. I didn't know. Uh, I, God, I wanted to. Uh, Mark Marin was in town. I don't think it helps me. I think my fans know I'm going to show up. Right. Um, yeah. The big thing for you, the platform for you, has been the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which now, for people who are really dug in, you know, you can go to a market as long as you don't go all the time. But you can kind of pop in around. I mean, you're still traveling all the time. About you, once a month. Although really? this, I, all of a sudden, I'm three weeks in a row here, which is insane for me. Um, so what? I, I, it's interesting. I don't want to be specific so much about L.A., but uh, since my mother-in-law and uh, in-laws and uh, sisters are the only people who listen to this, uh, maybe <laughs> it will be good. Um, what is it? About about some comics who just kind of at some point just drop off the L.A. scene. Here's I, what happened with me, yeah. and, and I apologize that I didn't never answered your question, and I, and I forced you to abandon ship. No, um, I, I worked for Conan doing you know opening the show, doing warm up for six seven years. You started with the Tonight Show, right? Started with Tonight Show day one, and so to me, I was getting whatever jazz I needed, whatever void neediness of a comedian that needed to happen. I was getting it every day at the Tonight Show stage or then the Conan at TBS stage. So I wanted to go home. Yeah. So I don't – so now that I don't work at Conan on a daily basis, maybe I will start getting out there and doing more sets. Um, but I didn't need to for six years because I was I was getting – You were doing it. Yeah, I was, I was scratching that itch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, does, do you still get the same joy out of it, though, when you go and do these shows and fly off for hours? Boy, that's and... a great question. You mean on the road or here? Well, on the road. On the road, yes. Yeah. On the road, I enjoy. I get up there. I do an hour. Because uh, you're not doing it too much. You're not too burnt on it. That's and you, it. And you're not, you're not actually like flying to Omaha and then driving those miserable spots right. that you used to have to do when you I, had to do that circuit. Exactly. I mean, I, I fly there. I do. The truth is I can do four shows before I hate my voice. Uh, <laughs> B, uh, I, I haven't done a Thursday, Friday, Saturday in ages because of the Conan schedule. And I have a couple Thursday, Friday, Saturdays coming up. Uh, but that seems to be the four for me. I have fun. If there's one more than four, it's like I can't do this one more time. Yeah. And um, uh, and pretend it's fresh every single night. <laughs> and that kind of speaks to, it, 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 to what happens locally is I don't turn over my material enough like these other people do. Like I, I listen to Laurie Kilmartin and Jackie Cation's podcast, which I find very interesting because they're talking about the craft of stand-up comedy. And if, if you're interested in that, you should listen to it. Yeah. Uh, but they talk about how they go up every week, multiple sets a week, working out their new material. And, and, and I envy it because it's not something I do because I, I so heavily rely on crowd work, uh, good or bad. And... So when I go up, when somebody asks me to do, hey, can you do my show at the Nerdist or can you do my show at the Improv? I go up and I work the crowd and then I get in my car and I go home. Right. And I get nothing out of it 
because I know I can do that. Right. Like right. I'm not working on anything. So it it it, it almost now for the show it's funny because I'm funny for ten minutes. But like I get in the car and go, oh, and I get home. My wife goes, how was it? I go, it was, yeah, it was great. It, it was it's fun. not it's not going to not be great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess as long as people want to come out and see you do the stand-up comedy, you're yeah. going you're gonna to want to do it. It's part, of, it's part of your DNA, I guess. But it's not I, necessarily the thing that drives you. No, the podcast is what drives yeah. me these days. And uh, and I'm lucky to have that outlet. Um, you're right, because I see these guys. And, and this is actually kind of heartening, because I feel like stand-up really had a lull um, up until recently, maybe. Oh, it came where, back strong, I yeah. would say, five years ago. I mean, the comedy store, Marin's been talking about this oh a God, lot. It's, it's, it's uh, resurging It's or this hot spot again. And also, I'm, I'm on their mailing list, so I'm seeing who their lineup is. Those and lineups are amazing. There's some, um, there's some incredible names going up. And what's great is it's a mix of really old school guys and guys who've been going up there forever. Argus going up again uh-huh. tonight. Uh, but, but I see things like Chris D'Elia. Is a freaking maniac. I mean, he's on the lineup like every night. He's in every night. He will tape his show that he was doing on NBC and right. still be on at like 1030 when he gets done with Which, that. Which, by, by the way, if you're a single guy with no kids, maybe I would have done that too uh, when I was Chris's age. Now, if I was if I was taping Undateable like he was, see you guys tomorrow. <laughs> and I'd go home. I don't, you know. There is, but there does seem to be. A work ethic with that group right now that's like, yes. you got to go up and you got to do the thing and you got to work and you got to hone. And that's kind of heartening for the form, actually. They're all good, too. They're yeah. all, you know, uh, Chris D'Elia and Brent Morin, who's a, a young, yes. fun comic. Well, he, also also on that show, yeah. And Ron Funches. All these guys that are on Undateable. <laughs> uh, the other one, who I, I can't pull his name, Rick uh, Glassman. Oh, yes. Very funny. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And all these young kids that are, you know, pissing me off, quite frankly. <laughs> are they, they really? Are no, they getting to you? No. How are they getting to you? <laughs> But I do think, you know, sometimes it's funny, Larry, that you, we bring this up, because I remember when I moved here and I was the hot young guy, uh, you know, 30, but I was still, you know, uh, there, and there was the, the the group before me, all the guys that I looked at, you know, Scott LaRose and, and some other folks that all of a sudden they weren't getting as many spots and I was getting a ton of spots. Yeah. And, I, and I've kind of become that guy. I've kind of become the Scott LaRose where, you know, more by choice than anything, I think I could do a lot more sets, like I said, but like I felt like... You know, these new graduating classes come in. Well, there's also a point, I think, just like anything else, it's that Malcolm Gladwell thing that everybody loves to quote. But there's a certain point at which you are as good as you're going to get in terms of, like, practicing. It's not that you don't need, you know, it's like I I see – I. Enjoy watching the Golden State Warriors right now because I went through that whole period. I lived in the Bay Area for a while, became a Giants fan, and became a Warriors fan. And I went through the run TMC era. Chris Mullen, Mitch Richmond, and Tim Hardaway. Uh, fun to watch. Really active. You know, great passing, great shooting. Never won a championship. Uh-huh. Just never got, never had a big man. When Minute Bowl is your biggest big guy, that kind of gives you an idea. I don't know enough you about basketball know to know. I, I know the names. Yeah. So but I don't just know. A, 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 a seven foot something uh, African with uh, skinnier arms than mine, and he wasn't. He was not good. He just was tall. He was tall. Okay, and there, yes. Um, so I went through that whole period now to watch these guys and to see somebody like Steph Curry or the way they were talking about Kobe, who all throughout his career work ethic, bang, 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 go, go, go. And I, I, I wonder at one point, are, do you just? St- can you stop doing that? I mean, can you stop going out shooting free throws every day? I, I, I think you can once you know what your skill level is and what your skill set is. Right. So I, yeah, now that I, said, I you, you, about a gol- you see a golfer 
they, you know, VJ Singh goes out and hits 100 golf balls after yeah. he's done with the tournament that day. I guess it's got to help. I, I say this because I don't know. Do I need to do a uh, an hour show before I do my radio show? I think you do. Day? I think do you need I, to do a, a do warm-up warm up show. show. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, damn it. Yeah, oh, get, get some air checks out there and... <laughs> Do it. Is that it? Air checks. Um, I love, that, that's the right phrase, right? That is okay. totally right, the right good. phrase. It's a bunch of stuff that nobody knows what we're talking about. I mean, so much of this business and, and your business, I want to talk about the pioneering aspect of your podcast because that's a, that's a pretty special thing that you guys stuck with. Um, because you guys did start, when you started, Never Not Funny. 2006. How many other podcasts like yours were going on you know what i know jason nash had one here locally there was a uh, uh, keith and the girl on the west coast on the east coast rather something called dawn and drew they were the ones that uh that uh, i think I they were doing I a daily one i have no idea who but yeah. it, it when we first started never not funny in march uh, and i think our first show uh, premiered in april of 2006 we would we it would be us and the onion and to a lesser extent ricky gervais because he had stopped doing it by right. then but it was us and the onion, and we would rotate that top spot on <laughs> iTunes, and it would be, you know, and then you know eventually more came on, and right. you know, uh, Corollas started becoming more of a you know original uh, content, um, and so then he jumped to number one, and nobody could catch up, and then Harwick came in, and he jumped to number one, and nobody could catch up, and then Marin, um, so. We, uh, there weren't a lot out there when we yeah. started. Well, what was the motivating factor to that? Because I, I, when I met you and accosted you in the parking lot of this building yes. a couple of weeks ago, um, I said that you had kind of inspired me. And you and uh, Marin and Hardwick all kind of, I suspect, have a similar impetus to get this going, which was just a frustration of not being able to kind of create and do your own thing I in think other they areas. Do, I think they both wanted to be me. But that's I, kind of what I was I'm leading kidding. up to. I'm so I'm 100 percent kidding. No, no, no. Um, but but your motivating factor must have been stand up is great. Uh, but you were kind of kicking around Hollywood. And, I was and, between jobs. Yeah, you know, which is easy to say in this business, right? Um, which and, is most of the time. Which is, I mean, that's the truth. It's like you know, I mean, it's funny you say that because I I say whenever I'm inter- asked this like uh, by a magazine or whatever else, I was in between jobs as if I'm Mr. Television <laughs> and I've always got some gig, but not this, this, in 2006, I was between jobs. I'm always between jobs. Right. So I love the workshop. I've taken those casting workshops, you know, because I've auditioned for stuff and I've been in a couple of TV series, movies, oh. or whatever. And, uh, but it, you hear those ones who are always giving you the, the real good advice, the hard line oh. is like, uh, your job isn't acting. Your, your job. job is auditioning. Yeah, sure. It's like, oh, well, that doesn't sound good <laughs> doesn't at sound all. doesn't sound good at all, right? Because auditioning sucks. It's the worst. Oh. My, the, my favorite thing of all time, and I know we're bouncing around, and I'll get back in and I'll answer no, your question. I, I, I like promise bouncing. you. Um, what was my question? Uh, uh, okay, keep your Being in between on. jobs. Okay. That thing. Um, and who cares? I was between jobs. There, there's your answer. Uh, but Matt, very quickly, Matt Belknap, uh, your producer, who is my producer, co-host now of ten years. Uh, I was doing live shows at the UCB Theater, uh, non-televised talk shows, game shows, and he said, "Why don't we turn one of them into the pod, into a podcast?" I kind of knew what that meant, and I said, "Great, let's do it." Yeah. Because I've been always was the one that was, I was last to Twitter, I was last to MySpace, I was last to Facebook, I was last to all of it. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to be last to podcasting. Because I don't want to be doing, say, nah, I don't, who, it's never going to catch on. And then, hey, you hear about Patton Oswalt? Which turns out it's Mark Maron and Chris Hardwick. You hear about those guys? And then I would, you know, beat myself up for right. not doing one. But um, that must have appealed to you, the idea of just 
kind of being able to do your own thing and be in control of your own content. And well, because everybody said do a blog, you know, everybody said write yeah. a blog, and and I don't write as yeah. I as I mentioned. And if I did write, it would sound like the ramblings of a thirteen year old girl. Like I'm not good at writing my thoughts on paper, but if I could run my mouth, I'll find the funny. I'll find whatever needs to be said. I would love to analyze exactly why it would sound like the ramblings of a 13-year-old Because I'm not a good girl. writer. Oh, okay. That's what I, and, it's a and, grammar thing, or it, you're going to be talking about you know Zane in One Direction? I'm going to talk a little bit about One Direction, nonstop. <laughs> um, but what I wanted to say was, to your audition thing, one of the, my favorite moments on Never Not Funny is when Ty Burrell, who I'd not ever met before, but everybody said, oh, you and Ty will get along very, very well. Ty Burrell, of course, plays Phil on Modern Family. Modern Family, right. When he said, uh, blah, 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 oh, I hate auditioning. And it's the worst thing in the world to audition. You're supposed to be the most relaxed and 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 yet the most focused you've ever been in front of a room full of people who are giving you no positive energy back. <laughs> and it's like, oh, everybody feels this way. Oh, it's yeah. not just the guys that fail at it, I'm pointing at myself, but even the guys that are now Emmy Award-winning actors. Yeah. Hate it. Anybody who's reached any level of success and is at the point where they are okay, they usually get jobs without having to do that. Maybe right. they do a, a read with you know Scorsese in the right, room right, or something, right. which you say yes to. Um, but yeah, every one of them, without a doubt, will say it's the worst possible It's the thing. worst. And almost all great actors say I'm terrible at auditioning, which is shocking to me. But I have never heard a great actor say, oh, yeah, audition. I was a... I was brilliant at auditioning. Yet there's some guys that are great auditioners, and I think they end up making most of their living doing commercials because they're so comfortable and good at it that they end up just going in and they knock every commercial audition out of the box. Yeah, yeah. They, they end up being a very specific type. Yes. You're right. I, uh, uh, you probably have auditioning stories. One of my favorites, though, I am much more of a people watcher. I'm probably watching everybody else more than I'm worried about my audition, which is maybe why I never book anything. <laughs> right. But it's just such... A cornucopia of the variants of humanity from top to bottom, shapes and sizes, egos. And, and, you know, you make a fast friend or you see that guy that you've seen a thousand times and he's back doing the Geico audition or whatever. And I auditioned once for Eastbound and Down. Um, I always get lumped into the sports slash uh, game show host slash disc jockey roles. That's all I ever get. Right. Um, And one guy came out. He had just done his audition. Uh, the door opened up, saying goodbye to the casting director, straightened up his bad suit and tie and said, oh, well, boys, you all can go home, I guess. And I killed him. Yes. Right there. That that yeah. joke, I I thought... I, it hurts, admit, right? It hurts, right? Uh, but I, I, I kind of thought it was the funny the first time I saw it, and mm-hmm. then I just was like... I don't need to see this guy do that joke yeah, again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like, well, you can all go. It's and like, he did it right in front of the casting director. I'm just hoping the casting director was one of those people who's like, oh, no, you didn't. <laughs> yeah, cross him off. <laughs> just because he did that. We're good with John. You had talked a lot on your podcast yes. about uh, your struggles with acting. You don't want more than, what, five lines? Five lines. That's uh, all I can You're handle. an under five guy, and that's it. <laughs> I, I take issue with that. You were in an episode of Marin where you were you were, had more than five oh, lines. Oh, I don't think. I think if you I looked. Can, at- no, I counted. Was it seven then? It was seven. But you know what? Can I tell you something? Over two days. <laughs> oh, as long as they split it up. Yeah. It was one was uh, where I had I was on the telephone, and uh, that might have been five lines. And then I had to do another scene where Walking I was on the, the set of Conan. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and that was maybe three lines. So you, you might be right, <laughs> but never more than five at a time. I'm not good at memorization. 
I'm not good at, I, I'm always panicked, I'm going to forget the words, which if you, that's how you feel, you're not going to be a good actor. Probably. But what if it were a more improvised situation, like a Curb Your Enthusiasm, let's say? I've never had the opportunity to even audition, and I yell at Jeff Garland every time I see him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you'd be great at that. I would if love some, to if do that. If somebody just gave you an outline and said, here's where this character needs to go, but yeah. say what you want, yeah. you would you would thrive in that. I, I, right? I would hope so. All right. Cut to I suck, but that could always happen. <laughs> Let's pitch a show right now. Let's pitch the Jimmy Pardo show. We'll figure something out. You'll be a radio host at a station that's that's falling apart. Oh, here's yes. what I want to know. I'm uh, listening. I'm listening to this uh, idea. Your, yes. uh, I'm moving on from oh, the TV pitch, but we'll come back. We'll circle back around to that. Um, I am fascinated with your albeit brief stint as a radio promo guy. No, no, he, I was a or, record, I, I was a sales rep for MCA sales Records. For MCA. Yeah. So, so how, that was a short time, right? It was, um, let's see, I, uh, God, long story short, I went to, <laughs> I, I, right out of high school, I did not go to college, I ended up working in a record store, uh, where uh, I immediately then became the assistant manager, and um, then I ended up going to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts for a year, here in Pasadena, California. Uh, I'm from Chicago. I then moved back to Chicago because, quite frankly, I was a little homesick. And But I left all my furniture and everything here thinking, well, I'll come back. You know, I'm just going to go back and, 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 again, scratch that itch of being homesick, see everybody. Right. And then, adios, suckers, showtime. <laughs> back to Hollywood. Back to Hollywood. And I got a job managing a record store. And um, I got promoted. Uh, I went back to my old record store. They had they, they were somebody quit just coincidentally timing wise. They quit. Uh, the assistant manager got moved up. They needed assistant manager again. I took that job back over at, at JR's music shop in Lincoln Mall at Matheson, Illinois. Oof. Then they said, hey, they need a manager out in Naperville uh, for Orange's records and tapes. And I went out there. And then uh, I was managing Orange's records and tapes and doing a little bit of doing some open micing, not a lot mm-hmm. as a comic. Um, Jim Haldeman, the head of the Chicago branch of MCA, came in. This is 80, late 80, early 88, late 87, early 88. And he came in and he offered me a, uh, hey, can you come in and interview? He would come in, and now that I understand the business, what he would do is he lived near there and he could tell everybody, I'm going to visit the store in Naperville. When in reality, he probably did that once a month. (laughs) Where he probably was telling them they were doing, he was doing it once a week, right. and he was just going home. Yeah, but it was on his way, so he could theoretically pull it off. Um, uh, he said, "You know, you you do such a great job with this store." Now, the reason I did such a great job was we had no customers; we were the slowest store in the world, um, and so I would be bored. So I would make the most elaborate displays on the wall. Uh, there was also this other young girl named Nora who was very very creative, so she would make the displays. I would get all the credit as the store manager. And so he said, "You do such a great job here. I'd like you to come in and interview for we have a we have an opening for a jazz specialist." It's like, well, I, I know a little bit about jazz, not yeah. a lot, but I'd be foolish not to go in an uh, interview for the. I keep saying, want to say audition, but to go interview for the label that was the brass the brass ring was to get a job at the record label. Yeah, and this was MCA. You're this saying? is MCA, which yeah. huge at the time. And, and and in jazz, they had GRP Records, and they had a, a great jazz. Uh, I can't pull any of the artists at, at the moment, but. Um, so I, I, I interviewed for that job and I remember as I was in the interview, the, the big shot from, from, uh, LA was there and he goes, well, how much you're looking to get? Uh, and, and Jim Haldeman looked at what I had been making at directors and he goes, we're good. <laughs> like no matter what we offer this guy, it's better than retail. We're going to be good here. So I did not get that. A guy named Ted Parrish did. 
who I believe now teaches uh, guitar at the uh, old jazz, whatever the famous jazz place is in Chicago. Oh, wow. Uh, but he teaches guitar there, I think. Uh, he got that gig, and Jim said, he called me personally and said, uh, you didn't get that job. You weren't right for it. And he was, he's not wrong. I was not right for it. And he goes, but I, I might have an opening coming up soon in the sales department. It's like, oh, all right. So sure enough, he showed up one day and he said, uh, hey, remember I told you there'd be an opening? Uh, let's call and give you a notice right now. I go, well, no, I got I, I to think about it. He goes, think about it. It's the brass ring. You're, he literally I, said, I, yeah, yeah. I'm offering you a label job. Yeah. And again, this is the late '80s, where they're still they're still all coked up. Oh no, you know, I wasn't. No, no, no. But, but this is like the the heyday. This was, is the halcyon days. It was. It, I mean, it, it, in the sense that if you say that incredibly corrupt and, and tons of drugs, all, all of it, and a ridiculous amount of money, most of it not going to the artists, would be yes. the halcyon days. The labels were just killing it. Still, they, they were, and it was, and it was like it literally was the bread. Like so, even so, I said, I got to think about it. What are you talking about? So he called my boss and said, I'm giving. Jim's notice uh, I just hired him and even the guy goes why'd you hire him like <laughs> like why this guy this kid I was a kid and uh, I got to MCA I didn't know what to do I took over some other guys sales thing which was the low man on the totem pole the other sales guys had the the music lands and had all the big big you know uh, chains oh, yeah. I had um, uh, discount records which was like four stores and and <laughs> Uh, exclusive company, which was four stores. And then I had another one that was four stores. Oh, then I flip side, which was like 16 stores. That was my big chain. And so what were you doing? What was your job? I would go in to the buyer of these chains or independent stores and tell them, you know, the new Dennis Young album's coming out. You know, uh, here's a, here's a promo. Yeah. And get them to pre-order. How many would you want? How many do you want? Okay. All right. Now that was easy to do with Tom Petty. Sure. And, um, you know, the, I, I did sell the second Tiffany album, uh, which everybody overbought because the first one was such a huge hit. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, R.E.M. Like, some of it was very, very easy, but, like, the Little River Band got signed by MCA. And it was like, I would have to, and I couldn't say to them, I, cu- I couldn't BS these guys and go in and go, hey, the new Little River Band, you know, that's going to be selling. It's, no, we all know it's not going to sell. Well, see, this from the radio side, this is right around the time I was a music director. So I was getting the, You're getting the, the, I was getting the promo side, right. yeah, which was coming in saying, oh, you know, I, I, I'd love to hear your pitch, actually. Give me, all right, I'm... Well, that was it. I just gave it to you. Is that hey, it? wait, we got the new Dennis Young coming out. Do you want any of that? I'll take, I'll take a thousand units. Oh. I don't know how many they would order. Well, you know what they would always do to me, because I had these small stores, they would go, you know what, give me five albums and three cassettes. And <laughs> Seriously? This was even before, like, like CDs, were, or, and one CD. It'd be like that. That would be the breakdown. And I would go, I, I, you know, Phil, I, I, you know, to this guy, I remember his name was Phil at Flipside. No, it was Dave. Dave something. Dave uh, Semetka. Who cares? I, I go, Dave, you got to help me. I need more than that. Give me, you know, I, I got it. And I would just basically like just plead because I wasn't good at it. <laughs> that I was, was your pitch? I was horrible. There was no pitch. It wasn't about the artist. It wasn't about, it was like, please. It would basically because because uh, Relationship. I, I, I respected these guys enough to know that they know Little River Band in 1988 is not going to sell. Right? <laughs> so why am I going to BS them? Why am I going to lie to them? This one's going to be it. They're going to they're back. But isn't that the thing that pumped up the numbers on paper, like with Billboard and things like that? I'm going to whisper so we don't so, get so caught. Not everybody hears about it. Ever hear about from thirty um, years ago. But but if stores ordered that many units, whether they got sold or not. At that point, it would that go was, to number one, yeah, or they would go to counted. number five. Yeah, it was yeah. still counted as retail. And then by the time that uh, they that you had to return that, well, the album's coming down the chart anyway, yeah. so it was no big deal. Yeah, but yeah, there'd be all these huge. 
Now some, you know, Bob, you know, I, I I dealt with Bobby Brown, uh, his "Don't Be Cruel" album. Oh wow! Uh, and then there was another, some other. Uh, I did have a. Uh, yeah, you must have hit on some pretty good times for pop in 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 the stuff that you were selling. Yeah, for MCA. but it was you know MCA. It had it's several huge artists, and then a lot of. You got to really push the Dakota album, and then I have to convince the guy to take just take one of each, one CD, one album of Dakota, uh-huh. and. They all came back. See, that's the tough part for a music lover. That's a tough business to be in because you have, if you really do like music, which you do, yes, you love music, love and, and you have your favorites, and and you have pretty good taste. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, but you also know that you're dealing with people that you want to talk one on one with about this stuff, and not just give them a line of bullshit the entire time. I couldn't do it. Just it. takes a piece of your soul out. It of did, you. and in fact, I spoke up once in a meeting. Uh, I. It, I, I keep saying Little River Band. It wasn't them, but that I always say it's them, that it came up in this meeting. It was one of my first meetings at MCA. And I went, uh, they said, well, we're looking to get bubble. I go, I go, and I actually said, really? <laughs> I said, it's the Little River Band. And then the meeting ends and my boss called me and he goes, uh, hey, uh, Jim, uh, we don't talk during these meetings. We just sit and listen to that department come in, this department come in, this, we just listen to them, and then we do what we need to with that information. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it was like, I couldn't even, like, are we really, are you BSing me about the Little River Band? Yeah. Like, come no, on. You just had to meet a quota. You just had to yeah. bring your numbers in, and were you getting paid on commission for that stuff? I got some commission, which I I, I actually got screwed over by the guy whose uh, place I took. He, he sold a lot of units that all then came back on my watch. And so I got hit with all of his returns. So my first couple of months, my paycheck was like nothing. Uh, but it ended up being a really – like I left a six-figure job to quit and do comedy and make 150 wow. bucks a week. Wow. This was late 80s when you when I you, quit. And when you jo- I out? quit. My first paid gig was um, March of 89 as a comic. Wow. And um, so I was there for two years. I must uh, I have started in, in 87. I quit July of 89. I quit my uh, the day job. So you left Chicago with the idea you were going to be an actor. Well, when I moved here in, yeah. in the mid-80s. To, when you went to the academy? The academy, yeah. yeah. It, how quickly in that process did you go, no? You know, while I was there, the teachers would tell me that I had a lot of talent, wasn't disciplined, uh, which they were right. And I was arrogant. I was this arrogant. Everybody else in class had just graduated high school and mommy and daddy we're paying for them to go to the school, and they were all going to be stars. And I had already li- – it was only a year, but I had lived a lot in that year by managing the record store and going to concerts and hanging out with adults. And so I kind of came – And you weren't a Hollywood guy. You came from Chicago yeah. and, and, uh, and the I, rough and tumble streets of the – Of the south side. South side. <laughs> uh, but a lot of – I just – I kind of went in there – Arrogantly thinking, you know, and I just come from Second City in Chicago where I did uh, maybe six to eight weeks of classes there. And I thought I had it all figured out, you know. Mm -hmm. So I I wasn't, I, 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 it's the one regret I have that since you brought it, I wish I would have taken it more seriously and I wish I would have been more receptive to their teachings and stuff like that. I just thought, like, I know what I'm doing and I'm coming here to then have this on my resume which doesn't mean anything it does not mean anything you don't need to take a single class um but i didn't know that you know I th- right i thought that, oh, this would be a great i go i'll go to this academy i will then have my apartment in hollywood and here we go right. i'm the next michael j fox and they would tell me you're very talented you don't have the discipline and they would all say your future is in comedy 
your future is in doing improv. We recommend you go back to Chicago and study with Second City. Wow. And that's really where you're going to thrive. And I was like, yeah, okay, you're wrong. I'm going to be a star. <laughs> uh, and I would fight him on everything. Uh, and then I went back and started doing stand-up. And, there, and it's like, you know what? They we're right. Yeah. You know what? I've had few acting roles. Uh, I've been, you know. Uh, but it's the other way around. I mean, what, what you ended up doing was kind of honing your craft the way you needed to with your strengths. And then you could kind of adapt it yeah. to, to the acting and as it, opposed but, to, you know. W- was Shakespeare going to do anything for you at that time? No, was, but know, I'm literally taking Ibsen. Shakespeare three times a week. Right, you right. know, I'm doing and King struggling Lear through it, probably. and struggling through yeah. it exactly, and not doing, and then thinking I nailed it, and then having the teacher go tell me how I missed it by a mile. Right, like right. you didn't understand anything in that scene, and it would be like, well, she's not wrong, but I thought I fooled everybody, <laughs> and. But this is kind of the thing. This is the point I always like to reach with people I talk to because it's always somebody in a creative capacity, and it's always the same thing. The path that you absolutely firmly believe you are going to go down, yeah, it never goes that way. And 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 you have to be willing to take the left turn and recognize, oh, I'm really good at this. I should be going this way yeah. and and flourish in that. Well, I should have done that from the start. You well, know, everybody it never should everybody have been should have. a question of. You know, uh, in going to my class reunions, eighth grade and high school, it's like nobody was surprised I'm a stand-up comedian working in television. Like they, even grade school kids right. are like, "Oh, of course, yeah, of course, that's what Jim does." <laughs> Jim's a, Jim was the funniest we ever met. Everybody knew it before you did. Yeah, and, yeah. and I would do talent shows and I would do stuff like that, and I would, you know, uh, was a ham. I don't think I, I know I wasn't the class clown, but I think I was a ham. Uh, but. That's what I should have done. But dummy wanted to be, like I said, I wanted to be Michael J. Fox and and be in the in the Brat Pack. You have a heart out, Jimmy. Is not they say in the business? Okay, I, I just, do have I a heart wanna, on. Uh, <laughs> I have to do that joke every time. No, I, I'm here. Got to remember to never ask that question again, uh, or should I? Yeah, I would ask it more often. <laughs> really, I'm here as long as you have. Oh, no, no, no. The we're, time. Okay, we're not going to. All right, so I go on the air at seven, so we're good. Um, I'm not kidding. I I don't have. <laughs> if we have enough to talk about for three and a half hours, I'll just keep going. That would be insane. Yeah, uh, your love of pop music is so evident in your uh, in your podcast, and th- there is an era that you're strongest in, obviously, and probably around the time you were selling and. And, yeah, I mean, it's 80s. Yeah. Uh, and also just when you were listening to the radio, and that's the stuff you gravitated to. And your your prowess in being being able to generally identify the year and the mm-hmm. label and the chart position is only matched by your inability to get most of the lyrics correct to those songs. Fascinating how I can't get a single lyric right. <laughs> I mean, you get most of them right. Yeah, but just... Uh... But that there's at least one or two words, or they kind of meander off into what you wish maybe the, the song would be. Yeah. But, you, but you've got this kind of Rain Man quality to the ability to kind of pluck it out of, of space and time. Sure. And, and I, is it... Is it what a lot of people do is they can kind of remember where they were yeah, or what they were course. doing? Yeah, that's exactly it, what it yeah, was. Yeah, it's a memory thing. There's uh, so many songs where I, you know, I remember I was riding my bike to Michelle Corlett's house in hometown <laughs> Illinois, and I just remember, like, that's the first time I heard that song, or that's the first time I heard yeah. that, or, like, Heart, specifically. I remember Heart was, like, on the radio, like, crazy. The with, 80s stuff? No, the, the oh, 70s oh, stuff. the 70s, uh, Magic Man and yeah. Barracuda. And, and okay. just... Uh, and, and then, or even, like, Seasons in the Sun or that sort of stuff yeah. where I can remember... You know, I would t- I taped the the radio to the the, the crossbar of my bike, oh, and so that I you know, and it would fit perfectly in the middle there. I had uh, on my sh- on my uh, um, how was it Schwinn with the banana seat? Yeah. I don't know. For a while, they sold 
an AM FM radio that you could attach yes. to the handlebars. Oh, did I want that? Oh, it it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted it because because yeah. I didn't have to then tape the handle on. <laughs> <laughs> and, and hope that my knees and thighs didn't hit the the buttons. But isn't that amazing how, I mean, I think everybody kind of has that to a certain extent, but there's nothing like the power of music and a song yeah. to, to do that, to absolutely plant. You know, I can't think of anything else that really does that for for so many people. No, it's got to be, of course, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I, I, you were talking about that era. I have this very distinct memory. It's one of my favorite memories because it's just pure, unadulterated joy of music. Uh, and this was back in, it had to be uh, 78, I want to say, Boston's second album. Um, I'm driving in Odessa, Texas, where I was living. Three cars, because back then you didn't carpool, you used as much gas as you possibly could. Sure, of course. And I was driving my giant Ford LTD, 1970, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, that was the year of the car. Um, uh, our buddy Kent Stalkup was in his car. My buddy Kevin Lane was behind him, and I was behind him. We were driving to some other part of Odessa to do something. I don't remember what, but we were all going together, but we were apparently all going to leave at different times. <laughs> right. Um, and we're going, going at a pretty good clip because we're 18, 19. We don't care. I'm sure I'm not wearing a seatbelt. You just didn't do that then. And Kent Stalkup, two cars ahead of me, screeches to a halt in the middle of Boulder Avenue, just like, Kevin narrowly misses him screeching his brakes, and I narrowly miss him screeching my brakes. And we're in the middle. We're not near a stop sign. We're not near a light. We're in the middle of a residential street. And Kent throws his door open, turns his AM radio up as loud as it will go, and starts playing air guitar to Don't Look Back in the middle of the street, going, Boston's new single is out! And we were just momentarily horrified, and then just joined him right? <laughs> and found the station and turned it up and sat there in the middle of the street. I feel like that's something out of a Richard Linklater movie, like I made that up. But that really, really happened. And don't you love that it happened? I mean, I love that that happened. Yes, I love you right? telling me that because it's like, that's, uh, I have, not that uh, that same one, but the similar situation right? uh, with music. Where, yeah. You know, we one time we were working at the record store and very slow and my buddy Dave, who does the theme song for my podcast, Number Not Funny, oh. uh, Mad at the World, Daver. He was my manager. There was a guy named Frank Mundo, who actually works in Hollywood now as a uh, as an editor, who I've not seen since 1984. Uh, but we were all rocking out to some Sabbath, like somebody was using two poster tubes to play the drums, <laughs> sure. and we were uh, playing the bass. And, and uh, while we are doing that, our boss walked in and may have been standing there for four <laughs> minutes while we're just rocking out to this and then looking up and going, oh, hey, Sharon. You know, it's like... And then she's like, "What are you guys doing?" We're like, we're rocking out. Yeah, we're and then out. She, and she couldn't like even argue with it because it was like, "Well, I guess that's what you do in a record store. Yeah, you, you know, you rock out and you." Yeah. That's you, what you're supposed to. I think so. Yeah, I, that's another thing. I, I don't want to be the old, you know, old man looking back, going, "Boy, we had it," you know, because. I, but people just don't buy stereos anymore. Mm. I mean, you've got speakers on your computer and you've got speakers in your ears. I don't know if that kind of shared collective experience, that spontaneous moment can happen anymore the yeah. freshman year 1980 uh she's so cold by the stones comes on and uh somebody it, i'm in a dorm hallway that we called the zoo at usc and somebody yells out the door turn on kmet and everybody turned it up and we're playing stones out in the hallway oh, and then they go into tusk by fleetwood mac which has the usc band on it right and we practically tore the place yeah, apart yeah, yeah. and one of the guys in the hallway is in the band 
So Wait, he what? Teaches, he's teaching us the, the moves, moves to Tusk because they do it at every game, and they still do. I mean, I'm getting giving myself chills. Right, you so just, do, how is that going to happen anymore? Is it just... The, well, do they go to the Coachellas and 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 your your festivals, and that's guess, where it yeah, happens? But those live shows, even those live shows, have that you know element of we're here and let's take a selfie and let's you know make sure we photograph it. Right. It's, I, I don't know. There's something about that moment, that spontaneous moment of sharing that song and how yeah. that how that kind of expands itself. I I, I don't disagree. You know, to me, the, the thing that that I'm old manny about is whenever I talk about <laughs> buying tickets. Back in the day, and, right. and you would camp out overnight, and that that community of hey, we're oh, we're yeah. all here to buy journey tickets. We're all here to buy sticks tickets. So you're listening to sticks all night long, you know, or journey, and then and then you're hoping to get that wristband so that you can get in line to get the ticket. Like, there, that's gone. Yeah, that that community of of like minded nut bars that want to sleep <laughs> overnight to get the best seats. I guess it's been replaced with the idea that. Social media makes everybody a community. Yeah, I, I guess, I guess it does. there is that kind of shared collective. Nah, of, it's not the same as talking it's, to a human being. And, I know. You know what well, about the second album? What about this? Right. And, you know. Well, now it's like, hey, that great tweet got retweeted forty thousand times. That lasts for a, a day, maybe, and then it's gone. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that's the new version of that. But I don't know that. 20, 30 years from now, two people are going to be sitting around talking about, remember, remember, remember that tweet? We, right, we're not, I know I'm not going to. I can't remember any tweets. I can't remember. I know that I tweeted yesterday, and I don't even remember what I said. Well, I did some stupid thing, some stupid what? tweet yesterday. What'd you do? What was it yesterday? Oh, I was making fun of the TV show Vinyl. Uh, I was going to ask you about that after all this talk about the record business. Well, I was—I didn't see anything like that. You know, it, uh, I saw well, nobody did. It's not a good show. I'm sorry. No, that you know. That said, I think after the second episode, I kind of got okay. I, I That's started, what everybody's telling me. I started me. liking it. All right, all right, okay. The first one. Oh, then, oh this, I was going to tweet this out. <laughs> Just when I thought, you know what? I'm wrong. Vinyl's good. Okay. The last seed in vinyl <laughs> is atrocious. Oh, no. Really? The, the, the season finale is like, no, this would never happen anywhere. So ridiculous. Uh, see, I, I had a problem with the first episode just because it was that, hey, look at all the cokes being done. And hey, look at all the sex. And hey, look at all the hey, 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 hey. Right. It's like, uh, I know it was I know it was crazy, but it wasn't that. It wasn't that. It wasn't this long moving shot all the way through the record company right. and everybody's doing blow and everybody's having sex and you know somebody's getting banged in the back corner right like, hey, how are you Ricky? <laughs> no have you heard the new ABBA record <laughs> and by the way if that was happening and i i didn't see any of it and it, it pisses me off that i didn't well, see any of it i will admit that even in high school i walked out of senior year going well i'm looking forward to having sex because nobody's having sex in high school Boy, was I wrong. Wrong. I missed a lot of stuff. You know, it's so, Larry, it, it's perfectly brilliant because I, I did the thing with the, the class prophecy where <laughs> me and a guy named Brian Clancy and another guy named Adam Leff, we would write what everybody will be doing by the 10 or 20 year uh, reunion. You did this in high school? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Apparently it was a yearly tradition and we were the three guys asked to write it. And I was just like, let's just be, you know, let's just be surreal where we just write ridiculous things about everybody and one of the running jokes was if anybody had the same last names they ended up getting married so they didn't have to change the initials on their towels <laughs> and we did it there were twins ray and tony barrera and we used and so that was the punchline we did you know uh so and so and so and so got married so and so and so and so and then uh, you heard about uh, ray and tony barrera right yeah they got married so that they and these two jocks you don't make fun of us oh no we're not gay and of course you're like your brothers your brothers <laughs> 
right? It's a joke. It's a comedy program. So, but I found out because I was not part of these two guys were part of the in crowd, the click, and I was a misfit with my buddy Paul and. Uh, Brian and, and Mike and, and, and into music and not fitting in and making fun of people and, and making fun yeah, of people and behind we're, their back we're better than them yes you know as I'm tiny in my little Chicago concert shirt <laughs> you know four foot seven so you know uh, as I'm writing this I would say stuff like uh, hey how about this how about uh, I'll make up a uh, uh, Lisa Jones uh, is now plays flute for the uh, the uh, Chicago Symphony Orchestra. We can't do that because she famously gave Joe a blowjob for a drive. <laughs> they're gonna oh, think. Oh, yeah. okay. So they're gonna think that. Well, what about you know? How about this one? Well, she gave him a hand. It's like, who? Where's all this sex happening? <laughs> Why is all this sex happening? No. Yes. There was a lot of sex, in and high that's school. how I found it out. Like trying just to write stupid jokes. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, oh, the prophecy thing. What did that make me think of? Oh, um, uh, finding out what these people did years later is is really interesting because I graduated in 1980, and obviously the internet didn't really become a prevalent thing until even the social media stuff, MySpace, really the kind of the first chance for people to find each right. other. So for me, leaving Odessa, Texas and going to USC and then really never leaving the the West Coast, really. Uh, short, stint, short, short stint in Houston. But for the most part, when the internet became prominent in the mid-90s and people started reconnecting, so I had a good almost 15, 20 years. Yeah. So it wasn't kind of... You know, we all are in touch all the time now, every day. All, if I need to know what you're doing, I just go look at your page and yeah. go, oh, okay, Jimmy's in Nebraska today. Yeah, right. Um, so I had 15 years of looking back and going, that guy became a preacher? Really? Right. That I mean, just like these shocking revelations of what people ended up doing. You say that people just kind of knew you were going to be a stand-up. Yeah. Have you gone back? Have you done reunions? Have you? I did of- the, uh, I did my... Do I do my 20 year? What year did I graduate? Before? <laughs> oh, I hate the math. I hate 04. doing the math. Oh, four. I did the 20. Yeah. Went to the 20 high school. And then we had like a 25 grade school. And I loved what? that one. Oh, wow. Because those were, those were the, the people that I bonded with and, and grew up with. I mean, you grew up, those, those are the right. kids you grow up with. Right, right. The high school was, I was at a new high school. And again, I was a misfit. Uh, it was okay. But it was. Um, <laughs> Fascinating how none of them had really changed. The grade school people had changed, but nobody from my high school had really. If they were an a hole in high school, they're an a hole now. Yeah, right. And um, things it, are pretty much set in stone in terms of personality. I think at that at point. that point, I mean, a lot of things change in terms of what you end up doing, gravitating to. But yeah, your your personality is pretty much set. It, it also infuriated me because I was looking forward to going to the reunion, the high school reunion. I, uh, I I was hosting two shows on television at that time, uh, movies at our house on AMC and then the game show on GSN. And I, I wore uh, to my reunion, I wore a beautiful suit that I was given, you know, for for the, for television. Uh-huh. I'm going to show up in this suit with my beautiful new wife. And I walk in and apparently I'm the only graduating class where everybody stayed in shape. So I walk in, and everybody's in shape. And I'm like, you sons of bitch. The oh. one thing I had going for me, I'm going to walk in, I'm in shape, look at my beautiful suit. Oh, you all still do push-ups. What are you doing? <laughs> you didn't have the fat jock or the None. just like really just homely cheerleader? Nope. That, 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 no, everybody? Nope. Oh. In fact, like this was a conversation. Somebody, I said to this one girl, uh, woman, Lynn, uh, where's your sister, Laura? Oh, uh, Bob's at, uh, at, uh, at, at semifinals. And I go, okay, I don't know what that means. Don't throw that around. Like I don't. Oh, he's a professional bodybuilder, and he's of course. Oh, sure. Yeah, and oh. that's what they. That's what Bob does. 
at uh, you know at forty or however the hell old we were at the time. But, oh wow! Yeah. So you wear your affection for Chicago on your sleeve. You are still a White Sox fan. I am. Uh, you the band Chicago. It's a little on the nose, but mm-hmm. okay. Um, yeah. w- when did that kind of almost obsessive passion? begin with the band chicago yes oh that happened well you know i grew up listening my dad was listening to chicago and would go to their concerts and stuff um but then it was in high school uh my buddy who's a a musician a professional musician gary shara uh gary knocked on my door one day and he said hey we're going to chicago fest which was the like the you know a a music and 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 food festival that's a big one yeah now it's called taste of chicago but it was called chicago fest and he said, we're going tomorrow to see uh, Chicago. And uh, he goes, I like to get down there early. We'll take the train. We get down there early. We'll sit in the front row and we'll see Chicago. And I was like, oh, yeah. I asked my mom because I was 14. <laughs> and I said, uh, can I do that? And she's like, yeah. And uh, so we sat in the front row of the Chicago concert. Uh, they were, it was in 1981. It was, they were not on tour. It was the only show they did in 1981. They oh. might have done one other one, but I pretty sure that's the only one they did they were between chicago 14 and chicago 16 they the 150,000 people there to see chicago yeah um and i that was it that was it you know i'd been a huge kiss fan up until that point and other all sorts of music but that was it that i don't know if it was being in the front row i don't know if it was you know i think it was my third concert I'd ever been to but uh that was that was it yeah from that day well, on. That, that should do. I mean, they were still in their prime enough that they must have sounded amazing. Well, you know what? I don't know. I, I have a bootleg of that very show. Yeah. And they sound okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know? But it's different, you know? But it, when but you're there different. and you're, you're young and you're in a, a tank top getting sunburned and, <laughs> you know, uh, and uh, th- I've had that. I've you've probably heard this a million times. I think you guys have even talked about this because the phenomenon of Springsteen, you know, people who are into him and people who aren't. Mm-hmm. And the difference for me was was going to see him. And I had terrible seats, and I sat behind the stage. I bought one of the last tickets they sold to the sports arena for his original River Tour. Oh, wow. And walked from my dorm over there because my RA was constantly going, Bruce, 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 Bruce. Here's li- Here, listen to this reel-to-reel boot- bootleg from this show mm-hmm. because Bruce never put out live stuff. And I'm like, meh. Okay, this voice is fine. But then you go. Bad. And I went, and by the time we were doing a 20-minute Light all the lights on, twist and shout at the end of the show, and I'm dancing, right. quote unquote. Um, oh my god, yeah! And I've, and it was transformative. So I get that. I mean, I yeah. can't deny that. You just have to, you just have to take that, and then it's one of those experiences that you'll never forget. That I think so. I mean, yeah. I, 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 and then it, it became a thing. We're going to Chicago Fest every year, yeah. and we had to sit in the front, <laughs> and we had to get down there early, and. Uh, How many times have you seen those guys? It's, uh, you know, I say it's over 100, but it's probably 80-something. Right. Uh, but, I mean, that's over 81. What is that? That's almost 40 years of me going to see them in concert. So, And you have talked about seeing Chicago tribute bands as well. I've saw uh, the, uh, the one here uh, once. That's the only one I saw. I've seen one. Yeah, okay. I guess and, I just caught that episode. And they were great. Yeah. They were uh, very entertaining. And, I, and you know, Peter Sedera's brother, Kenny... Uh, does uh, Kenny Cetera Chicago experience and, right. and they're phenomenal. Yeah. They're I uh, I loved listening to your experience at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and I'm not going to make you repeat all of that or any of that although I would love to know because you guys did stop that episode and I'm wondering was there anything we missed about no. that experience? That yeah. was it. That was the uh I I loved that you 
loved so much of it uh, that that Cheap Trick came out and blew you away and the Chicago sounded as good as they did and that you it was worth it to you. I mean, I, I got exuberant for you because you did something that you weren't sure you were going to go I do. I wasn't sure I was going to do it. I wasn't. I also, it doesn't appeal to me. That whole that whole thing is like, uh, would I really enjoy that but experience? But it it's my favorite band, yeah, that, yeah. again, since, since August 1st of 1981. Like... So here, but that but that set itself up to to potentially be a very disheartening, unfulfilling you know experience. The way Sotera's not showing up, they well, were fighting was, with each other. Yeah. They're all getting older. They can't, you can't help it. Uh, are they going to wheeze through the night but and they're sound not terrible? Be, they, they, whenever I have seen them, they the last five years they've sounded better than they've ever sounded. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. They sound phenomenal. Uh, so I knew, and that that was it's like, do I really need to go? Cross country to hear them play as great as I could hear them play at the Greek Theater. Right, right. Um, but I, you know, we went. I took a bath. I bought way too many tickets. <laughs> I, I, I lost money on this thing. Um, but it was great. I, I, yeah. I'm glad that I went. I'm glad that I got to experience uh, the Hall of Fame once. And I never need to do it again. There's yeah. never going to be another band getting inducted that I would could justify to my wife and myself to do <laughs> well um, you saw the one that you really i saw the to one see. and then the so. fact that my friend pat francis his favorite band cheap tricks getting inducted at the same time same it's time. like well we have to go right this isn't even a, like we we have to and with the satara thing you know it was like well maybe we shouldn't go it's like we went and i'm so glad I went. I got chills. It, everything, it all worked out. Anybody who hasn't listened to the Pat Francis episode up recently, you should listen to that because just reliving that whole experience is awesome. Or they could read uh, they, uh, in the AV Club. Uh, they interviewed me all about it because they oh, were yeah. nice enough to send me there to cover it. Uh, oh, right. So yes. not only did I buy way too many sets of tickets and lose money, I ended up getting there for free. <laughs> um, so we did not need a single ticket. Oh, we my. took a bath ticket-wise. Yeah. Um, but... You know, I got to hang out backstage, and I talk about that in the AV Club and on the Never Not Funny episode, yeah. as you know. Um, spending time with Chicago, a little bit with Cheap Drake, a little bit with Steve Miller, uh, a little bit with Deep Purple. Not that I didn't see NWA backstage at all, but, um, you know, Chicago was very, very kind to me and, and Pat, and, you know, they made us feel welcome, and it was it was amazing. That's great. Yeah. You also get pretty passionate about, you guys like your TV shows. Sure. You guys like your movies. What's, what's the thing, you mentioned vinyl. Um, which I'm tentatively going to dip my toe back into, I guess. It gets um, better. Okay. I, you know, I did the same thing with people with Boardwalk Empire who were like all the people who were like Sopranos fans and going, eh, I watched the first episode. Of blah, 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 blah. And I was like, just hang with it a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I found myself doing the same thing defending that show. I'm not defending vinyl. No. I'm Let's just, not get crazy. No, I'm just saying. I'm saying it, it's not as atrocious as You're saying it's the best we, show that's ever been put on television. I've been quoted in saying that, yes. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not as atrocious as we all were saying on social media yeah. after the second episode. Well, I'm a Scorsese completist. I, I am... I. Apparently not. You need to catch up on eight of these. I bow to the altar of Scorsese, so I know I'm going to have to go back and finish it just because of that. And all right, okay, okay, all right. Just back off, Jimmy. All right, I'm I'm defending you, overselling my love of this show. (laughs) What else are you passionately watching, kind of with a fervor right now? You're past your Kojak phase. I am past the Kojak phase, which I've never understood. Uh, Although I still dip my toe into that about twice a week, I'll watch a couple of Kojaks. Okay, so you're you're Um, like on the nicotine gum of Kojak. Yeah, yeah, trying to wean myself (laughs) off of Kojak. Um, We watch uh, the Path. Which is, is that good? It's great. Hulu. It's on Hulu. I'm, I didn't just have a like a <laughs> Hulu. 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 Uh, the great Aaron Paul. Yes, it's great. 
It's a it's a like Cult. a culty type yeah. thing. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking for something for the wife and I to kind Watch of that. to get into. All right. We we're loving the family. Uh, Joan Allen. Uh, oh wow! About the boy who is, gets abducted and murdered, oh. but then he comes back. Oh, okay, okay. Worth watching. All right. Um, uh, I I screw up the title of this every single time. It's Rob Delaney's show, Casualty Catastrophe. Thank you. <laughs> I do it wrong you do miss every, every, t- every time. <laughs> or you get it confused with a different show. I get it confused for casual. Yeah. And then <laughs> which it's is a whole different Which is also thing. a great show. No, but, Catastrophe is so freaking so awesome. We just finished season two last night, and uh, it's so great. Yeah. So great. And you like the movies. What uh, What have you seen recently? What you motion mentioned, picture? Uh, I just saw, oh, you know what I just saw yesterday? Sing Street. Huh? I saw Sing Street. <laughs> no, I heard you, Jimmy. Huh? Um, Sing It's about uh, some teens in Dublin in the mid-80s huh. who uh, st- he finds a girl attractive, so he lies to her and says, you want to be in my music video uh, for my band? And then he walks away and says, we got to start a band. <laughs> and then they start a band, and they're great. Oh, cool. And it's... it. it, it Look, you've seen this movie a thousand times. Yeah, I sound, it sounds familiar, but um, when done well, those things can it, really knock you everything out. Everything for me. Once, it, you've seen once. Oh, right? Sobbed. Right? Sobbed. I know. It's just such a simple story. But... And, and and that guy's involved in this in some way. Okay. He, Glenn, uh, Glenn Hansgard? Uh, sure. He, Hansard. Uh, he he uh, is either in the, uh, not on screen, but right. he's either in the band or he co-wrote some songs. Uh, but the songs are great. It's all mid-80s songs. It's yeah. all Duran Duran uh, you know, or, or and or new romant, uh, new romantic music or emo. Right. He, a little, uh, the guy goes through his phases of, you know, Duran Duran and The Cure, and uh, but I, you know, I, I cried. I felt joy. It, it, it's, it's one of those movies. Yeah. You know, it's like about a boy where you just feel great. All right, Sing Street. Uh, Good. Sing Street. Excellent. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you get out of here. I I, 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 I sorry I rattled so much. No, no, are you kidding? I could talk to you forever. I hope that we gave people something a little different. I just I I I admire what you do. I like what you do. I enjoy what you do, and I just kind of wanted to kind of get a sense of a little more of just. Kind I'm of glad where you, you came did. From I, it was and... it was refreshing, quite frankly. Oh, good. <laughs> it really was because every now and then people ask me about the record business or they'll ask me how I got started and ever, and I and I have I literally say the same four things over and over. But so I'm so glad that we that while we touched on that, but we I was able to expand on it. I was hoping so thank we you. wouldn't cover the same travel territory. I will ask you a few final questions, Go, and gonna... also, um, is there anything? Here's one. What. What would you like to see happen with, is Never Not Funny, Does can it sustain itself? I as, hope so. I mean, you just feel like that that form. It's is, me. Yeah. That's me. Yeah, it's, 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 and it's, it's really, I mean, those of us in, in radio are constantly going, what the hell is going to happen to radio? And it's really kind of what podcasting has become, which is content gets to take over there. It's about people having compelling things to say. I mean, what's fascinating about Never Not Funny is that got, you guys don't necessarily go in with any agenda whatsoever. We never do, unless uh, it's like a, the day after the Rockwell Hall of Fame sort right. of thing. Yeah, yeah but I'm but like, it's not necessarily, oh, John Hamm's going to come in and promote his whatever. Right. You might do that, but it's really not motivated by that. I remember right. an episode where Matt Walsh was on, and I'm a big UCB nerd, mm. and I did all the training and everything. Oh, wow. You probably could tell. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, I, see the, I see the chops. <laughs> all right, stop it. Um, but I remember listening to the whole episode, really enjoying it, and going, wow, Matt barely talked in that one. And it wasn't a slam. It was just like, 
people are involved as much as they want to be involved. And Matt's been on the show multiple times. And it's yes. just, it is what it is. And it's, again, it's a very inclusive. To me, it makes a lot of sense now that you would bring up uh, Chicago Radio and Steve Wall and those guys, is that it's, it's, you're basically, that's what that's become. The podcast has become the new kind of morning radio that brings people in, that draws you in, that gets you part of the conversation, part of the club. Um, yeah. To me, it's, it, I, I, I go there when I need to hang out with people I like. Well, thank like. you. Um, and that's, and that's kind of, you know, the show, we, as we said, we've been doing it for 10 years and it's gone through so many different kind of, not format changes, but just vibe changes. Yeah, it just evolved. Yeah. And it evolved. And now it is, it's truly where I always wanted it to be. Now, it took 10 years to get there. Or maybe it took eight years. Why do you think that is? Just, just in terms of I think I stopped group? caring about oh, feedback. Yeah. And which I know is the cliche of once you stop caring, you get great. But I worried so much about people on the internet liking a certain oh. episode or getting a knot in my stomach over certain things or, you know, is this guest going to be okay? Well, now at the end of the day, it's me and Matt. We have our intern, Garen, and we have Elliot, our video guy. They all are basically characters in this morning radio yeah. team no, sort it's of that, thing. It's that template, yeah. And so you come in, a guest, a Matt Walsh comes in, and sometimes a Matt Walsh might talk the entire time. And yeah. you're right. Sometimes it might be where he's jumping in the whirlpool and he's got he's to catch up with what's happening. Um, and so it's finally there where it's kind of like – Honest, but that said, if if CBS Radio came to me tomorrow and said we want to take Never Not Funny and make you guys the morning show, I would do it in a heartbeat. Well, good because I think that that's where the training ground is now. Because radio's not doing it because there are too many syndicated shows and there are too, there's no and and I don't know a lot of kids. It used to be all the time when I was much younger, people would come up to me and go, "Yeah, I want to be a DJ. I want to be on the air." I get that no percent of the time. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just wait. It's that low. It's it's somewhere between zero and point zero. Wow, it goes yeah. down. No, it just doesn't happen. It's right. just not somebody somebody's thinking of these days. When somebody says, "I want to be a DJ," you go, "Oh, oh, you mean oh, like you mean... freaking Skrillex?" Yeah. Okay, right. well, good luck with that. Um, so yeah, I I think that that's kind of where content's being developed, and if that. You know, heaven forbid, it actually kind of <laughs> people see that they can make a buck off that, and hopefully, it does help revive this whole idea of. What can be broadcast? What can be put out to the world? Well, I think I, look. I don't know your business at all, and because I'm in this niche of podcasting, but I, I grew up loving radio, and 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 also Bob and Tom in Indianapolis, sure. and being you know friends with those guys and being on their show a hundred times in the past twenty years. Um, I think it's there's listen. This is an off the air conversation. It, there's a fear from programming directors and or bosses that people don't want to hear that, and right. podcasting is proving. That people want to hear it. That's my point, is that if we ever get to the point where we can, and it doesn't have to be off the air, because I think that programmers know this and they are still frightened. And that is, how do we take that leap now? Do we put a Phil Hendry back on the radio? Do we put, I mean, Bob and Tom is a prime example. Those guys just talk. They have fun. They bring in their favorite comedians. They do their silly bits. And they've proven that they could last for a long yes. time you do have to be talented you do have oh, to oh, be you good. need to have the skills but certainly there couldn't be a better like you talking about the the way the that never not funny has evolved you would probably wouldn't put the first two seasons of that show on terrestrial radio necessarily no but you'd have no problem if you were to walk into a studio like this and say hey we're going to be in there you have to take a break here here and here but otherwise Love it. do what you do yeah and just maybe keep it clean <laughs> uh, which I would I would welcome that too. Yeah. See. Uh, so yeah, I would. Uh, I love the format. I love it, and yeah. and and uh, like just to circle back. I just 
I feel like it's finally where I want it to be. Right. Well, if and, you're listening less, Moonves, and I know he is because they have all these rooms bugged. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah, j- uh, put Jimmy on, you know, the air somewhere. Let's go. As uh, long as I can still do my podcast because that's where the real money is. <laughs> Trust me, it is. Uh, final questions. Yes. This is my attempt. I've been doing this over the last couple of uh, interviews and or conversations I've had to have a way to or button this thing uh, and also kind of call back to the name of the podcast, which I never reference because it's just a stupid name and a logo. Um, but kind of a James Lipton style, quick couple of questions here to wrap things Love up. It. All right. And uh, you want quick answers. No, it, it can be anything you want. Um, favorite movie all time. Breaking Away. If you were being pressed, Breaking Away, what a great freaking movie. Uh, if you were forced at gunpoint to go up to a karaoke stage right now, what would you sing? Uh, it could have been Me by uh, Billy Ray Cyrus. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I could pull it off. I can pull it. You it's can a, kill that. It's a great song. All right. And uh, he's not the joke everybody thinks he is. That one song murdered him and his daughter's <laughs> not helping. But it's a great song. Could have been me. Um. Uh. You've totally made me forget all the other questions except the last one. Have you ever, and if not, would you be willing to work with a monkey? Have I ever, or would I be willing? You know, I do a thing at the Los Angeles Zoo every year. I host their live auction right? for the Beastly Ball. Make a lot of money for them. And uh, I make a, yes, I get a zero. <laughs> I volunteer. It's a it's a charity. I know it is. I, a, I'm a good man. What, that's a whole thing. With, uh, although charities. they have not called me for this year yet, which leads me to believe they're moving on. <laughs> Uh, and your chance to work with a monkey slipping but I think, away. But I think there's been a monkey on stage. All right. So I think I have done some monkey business. <laughs> oh, man. I know I've had a lizard and an iguana and uh, some other sort of uh, reptilian things that I feel uncomfortable holding. But I want to say somebody brought up a monkey once. And I, maybe it grabbed my finger or something. I want to say that. But I didn't, you know, that's as close. Okay. That's a yes, we'll then. Take it. No, we'll take it. I'll yeah. take that as a positive. All right. Uh, still not happy with that questionnaire. I'm going to have to work on that and see if I can find a better way to wrap things up. I think it's a great way to wrap it up. Maybe have it printed out so you don't uh, forget them when somebody gives you a great answer. And okay, you Mr. Podcast. Go into a panic. Sorry, you're right. Okay, I'm a newbie. All right, I, I get it. I haven't written thing, that thing down in 10 years. <laughs> I'm going to cut all this out. Anyway. I would. Uh, Jimmy, uh, such a pleasure. Oh, it's, it's my this honor. Has been, no, no, no. No, let it be more my okay. honor than yours. Um, but uh, you wouldn't even let me buy you a soda. But I, I, I really admire you. I think you're uh, hilarious. I love what you do. And uh, thank you so much for letting us have this conversation. It, again, any time. This was a joy. All right. I'll have you back. Hmm. What are you doing tomorrow? I'll be here. Get a monkey. Get a monkey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.